Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. Okay, so today we're starting a brand new series called We Believe. And you know, it's really important that as Christians, what we believe matches up with what the Bible says. And the early Christian church, they understood this all too well. As Christianity spread, as it went across continents, as it moved into different cultures around the world, the gospel would become diluted. At times, other religions would kind of creep their way into the gospel. And so what the early Christians did, as back um, far as 140 AD, they decided that they needed to come up with a summary of the gospel, something that people could remember in order that people had at least the core beliefs, the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. And these fundamentals, they, they took from the apostles' teaching. Remember, in Acts 2.42, that's what we say our church is, is following the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? It's the apostles followed the teachings of Jesus. And so they put a summary together and it was called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. It wasn't intended to be scripture. You won't find it written in the Bible like you do the Lord's Prayer. But it just lists these key fundamentals. And the reason that was so important is because for many years people didn't even have a Bible. You know, it wasn't until the early 1600s that even in England we had access, the everyday man and woman had access to a Bible. Even though the Bible had been around It took a man in the 1500s called William Tyndale in order to put the Bible together. He had to translate it for us. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what are the fundamentals of the Christian belief. What is it as a follower of Jesus we believe? So on the screen behind me is the Apostles' Creed. And this is what it says. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Now, before we go any further, 
there's that line up there, the Holy Catholic Church. It does not mean the Catholic Church. Okay, first of all, it's not talking about, we have lots of denominations, don't we? Anglican, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal. It is not talking about a denomination. That translation, when it was originally put together, the word Catholic was to mean universal. Every church, every tradition, Christian tradition, every Christian denomination. That word Catholic means all churches all over the world Past, present, future. So don't get confused there over that word Catholic. And so all these statements, we are going to look at them in the context of God's word. And just see why these beliefs are non-negotiables to us as followers of Jesus. And we've called the series We Believe because... Believing is very different to knowing. If the creed began, I know about God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I know about Jesus Christ, his only son. All we would be doing is expressing a head knowledge. Just because we know something doesn't mean that it will make a difference in our lives. But when we believe something... Our strongly held beliefs change our actions. What you and I believe can alter the course of our lives. And so each week we're going to be looking at these statements of faith. And if you just turn to the first one of that creed there, um, you see it's highlighted, we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Next week, you're going to get part one from Lucas, okay? He's at Latchford this morning preaching that there. He's going to come here and preach that to us next week. So we're going to look at the second statement. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And so to do that, we're going to look at some scriptures. So let's turn, shall we, if you've got your Bibles, to Matthew, the book of Matthew in the Gospels, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 13 to 16. Just while you're finding it, the backstory is this. Jesus, he's traveling through a region called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is with his disciples. And this region was important because it was named after the great Caesar Augustus. And Caesar was a man who, for better of a word, had become a god in the Roman Empire. And Caesarea Philippi had a great temple set up by Herod the Great in order that people could go there and worship Caesar as a god. And Jesus is in this area with his disciples And here's a conversation that takes place. Let's read together. Matthew 16 from verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, 
and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hands up if you've ever done an Alpha course. Who's ever kind of led one or been on one? You've kind of, right, you've been around the Alpha course. You will know that one of the sessions on that course is titled, Who is Jesus? And the session invites you to ask yourself the question, Who do I say Jesus is? Not who do I think he is, although that might be a starting point for us, but who do I believe Jesus Christ is? And Jesus asks this same question to his disciples. In an area where Caesar was worshipped as a god, Jesus stops and takes time with his disciples. He eyeballs them. Almost saying, in the midst of this culture, friends, in the midst of this culture where this man is seen as a God, who do you say I am? And here, Peter, after being with Jesus, he just speaks it out. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, your version might have said, I believe you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Some translations use the word Messiah. Some translations use the word Christ. Both mean the same thing. They both mean anointed one. You see, some manuscripts, some Bibles were written following manuscripts that were written in Hebrew some manuscripts were written, were um, translated using manuscripts that were written in Greek. The Hebrew manuscripts were written for the Jewish people to understand. The Greek manuscripts were written for the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, who were following Jesus. So both manuscripts were correct, and their translations of the word anointed one were Messiah for the Jewish translations and Christ for the Gentile, the Greek translations. And the anointed one is someone who was promised by God who would come and save mankind. And Peter looks at Jesus in this moment and that revelation comes to him and he says, I believe you are the one. It's not this God Caesar that the world bows down to, but it is you, Jesus. And that very question that Jesus asks Peter, he asks of us, who do you say I am? And so today, using the creed to help us, we're going to look at that statement, we believe in Jesus Christ. So our first question is for us today, who is Jesus Christ? You know, most religions will accept that Jesus existed They either see him as a prophet alongside all other prophets or they see him as a historical figure or an extremely good teacher. They just can't get their understanding and their head on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. So how can we be sure Jesus is the Christ? 
And listen, it's okay to ask questions. It's all right to question the things that we believe, as long as we go to the Bible for those answers, okay? There's nothing wrong asking questions about what we believe. So there are many scriptures that point to Jesus being the Christ. And the Old Testament has many of these examples. You know, there are around 300 prophecies before Jesus was born telling us of his arrival, what he was going to be like, how it was going to happen, how he would die, his, his purpose for coming, and that he would rise again from the dead. That happened over thousands of years before Jesus even appeared. And as we read the Bible, we see that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. So first of all, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that were given. Here are some of them. In Isaiah chapter 7, there's a prophecy that a virgin will give birth to a son. In Luke, we have an encounter where the angel comes to Mary and he says, you are going to be with a child. He's going to be God's son. And she says, but how can I? She says, I'm a virgin. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. There's the virgin birth, that fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah. His earthly ministry in Isaiah 61, it says that the, the spirit of the Lord will be upon him and appoint him and anoint him to preach good news, to be sent to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And when we see the life of Jesus, he came not just for the physically and materially poor, but for the spiritually poor. Those eyes who were blinded to the truth of God, those who were in captive because of their sin, chains of darkness around their lives. Jesus came and he set people free. And even the way he would die, Psalm 22 talks about the anointed one having people cast, die for his, his clothing, being made a mockery as they looked up at him dying. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. It says they stripped him of his clothes. The soldiers gambled over his clothing. They looked at him as he hung on the cross and they mocked him saying, if you're really the king, come down, come down if you're really who you say you are. And so these prophecies, they, they foretold us what would happen to the Messiah, to the Christ. And we see in Jesus' life all these things coming to pass. So Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures concerning himself. And the Jewish people, they'd been waiting for this Messiah, the anointed one. For the king who would, whose kingdom would last forever. And Peter, in that moment got it. He just said, you're him. You're Jesus Christ. In fact, not Jesus Christ. Jesus, like you are the Messiah. You are the one and only. Do you remember last, just before Christmas, I preached a preach and I, we looked at the word therefore. And I said, whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for? Peter has a similar word here in this passage. He says, you are the Messiah. 
You are the Christ. There were lots of men who would proclaim they were the Messiahs, that they were the Christs. But in that moment, Peter just says, you are him, the one and only Christ who has come to save us. You are the anointed one. There is no other like you. The second thing that Peter said in Matthew 16 was, I believe you are the son of God. And in that statement, Peter declares that Jesus is unique to every other person that has ever walked upon the earth. He's different from every other religious leader and prophet that has walked and talked with God. Because not only is he someone who hears the voice of God, who works out God's plan upon the earth, Jesus was the Son of God. Now, as followers of Jesus, we could all call ourselves sons and daughters of God because the Bible tells us that when we say yes to Jesus, when we follow him, that God adopts us into his family and we become heirs with Christ. But Jesus isn't just like us, a son, a daughter in God's family. Jesus, by his very birthright, is the Son. He is the Son of God. So how do we know that? What, what backs that up in Scripture? Well, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Sounds a tongue twister. We'll get to that in a second. Jump to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Who is the word? Who's John referring to in this passage? We know it's a figure because he says, he uses the word, he was with God. Another name for the word is Jesus. That means Jesus has always been, he's always been with God. If he's always been with God, he is God. If we look at that chapter, that, those verses again, instead of the word, instead of using the word word, try using Jesus' name. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. What's this beginning? We're talking about creation. We're talking about even before creation. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Jesus, who came from the father full of grace 
and truth. So to be the son of God means that Jesus has the very nature of God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the exact representation of God. So why is it important that we believe that Jesus is the son of God? Because there are many people who believe in God and they think that's enough. As long as I believe in God... As long as I believe in something, that is okay. But that's not what the Bible says. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. In 8, John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, not whoever follows God, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So if we don't know Jesus, we are walking in darkness. John 14 says, this is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. So he's not saying, hey, listen, there's God. And there's lots of different ways. As long as you find your way to God, that's all that matters. Jesus is saying, I am the way. You cannot get to God except through me. I am the truth. You are not going to know the truth unless you come through me. I am the life. I have come to bring you life everlasting, but you will not know that life unless you come through me. So to call ourselves a Christian means that we are a follower of Jesus. We follow the things that he says, the anointed one, the son of God. We recognize him for who he is. John 3:16, a verse many of you will know, reminds us that God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not, de- will not die, but have eternal life. Jesus is part God. He is God. And if we deny Jesus, then we deny God. And then finally, Jesus Christ, the creed says, the Son of God, our Lord. Jesus' Lord is one of the most common titles of Jesus in the Bible. And yet it's probably the hardest title for us to accept and follow. You see, the first two titles, Jesus Christ, Son of God, they're declarations of faith. They're things that God opens up our eyes to see who Jesus is. But our Lord, we have to do something with that. You see, saying our Lord, my Lord, we have to put an action into that statement. To make Jesus your Lord means you have to have fully accepted him. That you have decided to submit your life 
fully to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if you are going to make him your Lord. It means from moving on in your relationship with Jesus from just accepting him and him having a limited access to our lives to giving Jesus that backstage pass to every area. You know what a backstage pass is, don't you? At a concert or in a football match or anything like that. We, um, when we did the carols at the Halliwell Jones Stadium, some of us had an Access All Areas badge. Basically, it meant that we could go in, into different rooms around the stadium, get to places that we need to do because we were organising it. We, as long as we were wearing that badge, we had access to every area. And we, if we are going to make Jesus our Lord, we have to give Jesus that all-access area pass. We have to say, Jesus, if you are my Lord, that bit in me that other people don't see, that activity, that that mindset, everything, I am giving it to you and I'm going to fully surrender it to you. And when we submit to God, when we submit to Jesus, when we make him our Lord, we grow in a holy awe and a fear of him. Not a fear to make us afraid and scared that we never want to come near him, but a fear that is so beautiful, it actually draws us closer to him. Think of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Think of Aslan, the lion. Who's he meant to represent? Christ. And when the children hear about him from all the different animals... They are wondering, who is this Aslan who's so good and so kind, yet people like the enemy are afraid of him? And there's such, there's this nervousness that is inside of them. They're like, what is he going to be like? How is he going to treat us? What, what, is, he, what is he going to say about who we are? And Aslan in the book, he's described as the king over all kings, the son of the high emperor. He's described as kind, powerful. And the children begin to have this holy fear of him. But through the story, as they get to know him, as they submit to his plans, as they follow his lead, their desire to be around him grows. Who they are grows in a confidence around him. And submitting to and making Jesus our Lord is to recognize him not only just someone who is our saviour, but someone who is our king also. It's saying, Jesus, I give you the throne of my life. I take myself off it and I place you on it. And at the end of our time together, there's going to be two questions who just come up on this board. The first question says this, who do I say Jesus is? That's the question Jesus asked Peter, who do you say? It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks, but who do you say I am? Jesus asks each of us that question today, who do you say Jesus is? And then the second question is this, have I made Jesus Lord of my life? Have I placed Jesus in the center of my life? 
Do I follow his counsel? Do I trust his ways more than I trust my own and more than I trust the counsel of people around me? Does Jesus have that center spot in my life? Jesus says he's come to give us life and life to the full. If we don't make Jesus Lord of our life, we miss out on the fullness that he has. We only have half a gospel, half the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. And if you've never come to the point in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him this morning. For you to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Christ. I believe you are the Son of God. And I want to make you Lord of my life. For some of you, you may well have been following Jesus for a while, but you know you've not made him Lord of your life. You're holding on to areas You're not giving him full access into your life. He's an add-on into your week. He's not the be-all and end-all of your week. And I want you to respond as I pray as well. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. I give you the all-access pass. I'm giving it to you this morning. Our Father, we come to you again. And we confess, Jesus, that you are the Christ. You are the only one with the words of eternal life. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the Son of God sent from heaven above to reveal Father God to us. Lord, and I pray for those this morning who perhaps for the first time are saying, I believe you are the Christ. I believe you are the Son of God. Lord, and I pray as well that every single one of us here in this room would know what it is to make you the Lord of our lives, to give you everything, the hurts, the disappointments, Maybe life hasn't panned out quite the way we thought it would. We give it to you, Jesus. We submit that area of our life. We're going to hold on to that anymore. We submit that to you, Jesus. Our desires, Lord, for relationships. Lord, I'm putting you first in that area. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to make you Lord over that area of my life and submit to you in that and your leading, Jesus. Lord, in my work situations, that place of work where sometimes I'm perhaps a little bit different than what I would be here in church on a Sunday, Lord, I give that over to you, that area. Say, be Lord in my workplace over my life. May I be different for you. With my family, Lord, Lord, I pray that I would give that area of my family over to you. 
Lord, you come and reign in that situation. Stop me from trying to fix everything, but you come and rule and reign. I give that access of that area of my life over to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that we will know what it is, Lord, just to give over all parts of our lives to you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.